From Treaties 6, 7, and 8 lands, I'm Iman Bukhari. And I'm Irfan Chaudhry, and you're tuning in to the Common Ground Podcast. There's a lot of bleeding hearts around who just don't like to see people with helmets and guns. All I can say is uh, go on and bleed, but it's more important to keep law and order in this society than to... uh, uh, be worried about uh, weak-kneed people who uh, don't like the looks of, uh, of a at, at any family. cost? At any cost? How far would you go with that? How far would you extend that? Well, just watch me. Multiculturalism became Canada's official Canadian policy under the government of the late Pierre Elliott Trudeau in 1971. In doing so, Canada was the first country in the world to adopt multiculturalism as official policy. This means that Canada, in its legislation, states that we as a country are where people can be different, and the government has a role to facilitate people's desire to want to retain that way of life. This is in fact one of the reasons why so many educated people, who are actually doing great in their birth nations, immigrate to Canada, because they know they will be accepted for who they are. Your fellow citizens, my friends, they are kind and generous. They are open-minded and optimistic. And they know in their heart of hearts that a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian. Regardless of Canada's legislative proclamation as a multicultural country, we still have a lot of work to do. In recent years, our country and our province has seen a noticeable increase in overt negative displays related to immigration and refugees. A recent pre-federal election poll conducted by the CBC, for example, found that the majority of Canadians surveyed for this poll are against accepting more refugees. Immigration experts and advocates in Canada point to a negative shift in tone on migration around the world, especially when it comes to refugees. A trend, they say, is stoked by media coverage in Canada of asylum seekers crossing the country's borders with the U.S. It is these negative portrayals of immigration, and refugees in particular, that often fuel the grievance of some of the hates or hate-affiliated groups we see locally and globally. The Soldiers of Odin, for example, an anti-immigrant group founded in Finland in October 2015, was established as a response to thousands of migrants arriving in Finland amid the European migrant crisis. Similar offshoots started to spread globally, with the number of Soldiers of Odin groups organizing in Canada, fueled by the exact same anti-immigrant sentiment that established the Finnish chapter. While the European variation of the group has not been shy about their stance on anti-immigration, the soldiers of Odin offshoots in Canada have been a bit more coy, perhaps even suffering from Canadian politeness, as publicly they have denounced having any connection to being racist and being anti-immigrant. As many members of the group suggest, they are not against immigration, they are against illegal immigration, so long as the legal migrants integrate according to Canadian standards and Canadian values. But we're, we're pro-immigrant, but we want people to, in, we want integration, not immigration, which means you integrate when you come to our homeland. The yellow vests have been criticized for attracting extremists. The wolves of Odin, the replacement for soldiers of Odin in Edmonton, out in full colors. This man admitting to being an anarchist. I want to be peaceful, right? But 
You look at what, what's going on in France, you look at them burning cars, you look at them having a riot. If Trudeau doesn't step up, that will happen here. But the majority of those I spoke to in workers' vest were fueled by Western alienation. Justin has uh, treated the West. He's no better than his father with the Trudeau salute. He's done all but give us that. On putting our, our people, the Canadian people first, putting our country first, we reject the global world order. This integration versus immigration narrative has really been one of the main motivating factors that has brought the Canadian Yellow Vest movement together. It is also what sets the Canadian variation apart from the French movement, which became an outlet for people to express their discontent with the high cost of living in France and with the French ruling government in general. For this podcast, I really wanted to hear from people heavily involved with the Yellow Vest movement in Alberta to really help us understand the movement in their own words. The group often gets painted as being racist, as being xenophobic, and being very, very anti-immigrant. In an effort to learn from the group, an invitation was extended to Yellow Vest organizers in Edmonton in order to hear from them directly. Unfortunately, members from the group declined to be interviewed for the podcast and offered this statement. We welcome all people of faith and races. All are equal and should be treated with dignity and respect. Racism or hate is not tolerated at all. We want responsible government to represent all Canadians. Antifa is a hate group and the organizations and media that support them falsely claim we are racist and a hate group. We have publicly stated that we are not and we accept all Canadians regardless of faith or race and we want to work together as a community and hold governments accountable and to stop the hate and combat racism and discrimination working together as a community. And the media will not report it and when we try to talk to people in the community to find solutions, Antifa gang attacks us and uses violence. So while the group has publicly stated they are not a racist hate group, individuals who are part of the group showcase the opposite, especially when you look online. And a very active social media account, Yellow Vests Canada Exposed, has been documenting and tracking the online footprint of the Yellow Vest movement in Canada in order to highlight this case. I spoke with one of the founders of Yellow Vests Canada Exposed, Alan. Alan explains how he was originally attracted to the Yellow Vest movement in Canada because he thought it was going to be very similar in grievance to the French movement. Unfortunately, he quickly realized that the Canadian variation was quite different and that it had more of a racist, xenophobic, and anti-immigrant flair. As a result, he and a couple of counterparts across Canada started Yellow Vest Canada Exposed in order to try to shut down some of the group's momentum. These companies were making making hand over fist and profits and then laying people off due to automation and then it doesn't seem like there was a lot of honesty coming from from these big corporations and i thought well this is an opportunity for like for us to really hold them accountable but then the the aim was at the government and how the government needs to stop doing things so uh but i thought you know i'll just come along for the ride but then right away there was talk about all um it was all about the un the un has been a really really big talking point about how they're going to um, take over our borders so that tons of Muslims come in, tons of refugees come in, and then it just it's it's a lot of old uh, it's a lot of talk from a couple of years ago about um, like Muslim invasions, kind of when when this started coming up, like sort of around the time the Quebec mosque shooting happened. I don't really know how it how 
it got it picked up to the point if, if people are just have just been racist the entire time and we just uh, have kind of been blind to it but but it was it was very quick to kind of just blame every other person yeah it's just a matter of uh, I think our politics have, moved, have been moving that way the last election that we saw with uh, with uh, the Harper government was a lot of uh, pointing the finger at, at refugees and things like that and that just really kind of got things started kind of changed the sentiments of people. This is the convoy to Ottawa. Yeah, we definitely up in this area, everyone up into this area. That's right, we finally made it. We drove we drove every day since the 14th of February. We finally made it. We're tired. We're mad. We're ready to get even. Where is that Trudeau? We hear that he's over there in that building. You see that building? The one called the West Block? Let's see if Mr. Trudeau will actually come and meet the people that traveled all the way across Canada to come and see him. Does he have the balls to meet us? Under our current political climate, the Yellow Vest movement in Canada seems to attract a very familiar follower. Even based on my own online and offline observations, individuals attracted to this group in Alberta share very similar characteristics. For one, there seems to be a very strong dislike for both Justin Trudeau and former Alberta Premier Rachel Notley. This is emphasized by a belief that both Trudeau and Notley represent a progressive leadership spectrum where social issues seem to be taking priority over what they call real issues, such as the economy or the building of a pipeline. While not always the case, some followers have experienced some form of employment disruption, such as a layoff or being unable to find work. As a result, they blame left-leaning governments currently in power because they feel this group has ignored them. When you take this feeling of being left behind and you combine it with what some might perceive as favoritism towards other groups, such as racialized minorities, women, the LGBTQ2S community, or the indigenous community, the grievance of feeling left behind becomes even more powerful. You might even feel the need to connect and mobilize with like-minded peers who share your concerns and try to do something about it. This is really how we see grievance, ideology, and mobilization in action and is a key reason why the Yellow Vest movement in Canada has really been able to generate a lot of momentum. They, they don't really seem really knowledgeable, they don't really seem interested in doing a lot of research. A lot of them are really reactionary, they, um, they read the headline and they just kind of, they, it's like a very, uh, very knee-jerk reaction to anger and, and just a lot of like things are really unfair for me and there's no like there's no pause to step back and reflect there was just it's just yeah it's just it, it's it's like unbridled anger about just being treated unfairly that's kind of the main thing and and it's like we're going to be we're going to be lesser citizens in our own country and and i think there's a lot of like I don't even, it's, it's so it's really odd watching this because we're, we're one of the biggest one of the things i always say is that it's like it's like a bunch of people living in a house with no mirrors. They don't really have any reflection on, on the things that they say. And it's always just, you know, there's always, if something happens and a person of color does it, they're probably a Muslim or they're probably like a paid activist or something like that. It's, it's, never, it's never just a guy just did a thing. In Edmonton, the group has been fairly active. 
One reason for this is due to Edmonton being the provincial capital of the province. So there's a lot of symbolic value in having a presence in the city. And this was really best seen during the 2019 provincial election, where Yellow Vest protesters, alongside other organized hate groups, would protest outside of former Premier Notley's office on White Ave on an almost weekly basis. Edmonton has kind of been like the, the really big, like strong point uh, for, for people rallying together. And, and they have a lot of groups that have, have sort of jumped in. Um, so they had the National Citizens Alliance, who we've come to find are, are an anti-immigrant, anti-globalist, they call themselves. And they, and they talk a lot about, they've been going to like, like Steve Garvey is the leader of the group, and he's been going to malls and like cultural centers and saying, oh, look at this, these ethnic enclaves and the replacement of, of like European Canadians and old stock Canadians and things like that. So he, you know, like a lot of these, it seems like a lot of, there was a lot of these patriot groups or whatever they're called, uh, these far-right nationalist groups that jumped into the movement and then kind of took it over really quickly because they have they seem to have a lot more experience doing protests and things like that so they were able to take more of a leadership role so that includes groups like the soldiers of odin who then became the wolves of odin who then became the clan and the the northern guard the canadian combat coalition or the the term they go by c3 and uh, these groups have been around for the anti-muslim groups we just kind of call them for short but they've been around for for quite some time and they, and they kind of jumped in and so that's been like the really big thing with alberta there's a lot of trying to clean up the groups it seems like some of the groups have, look a lot better but some of them are still kind of the same and they're still saying the same thing when nothing's really changed they're still talking about how muslims are the problem they used to really rally against uh, indigenous people because there's indigenous groups who are against the pipeline and they don't like that so and alberta is just kind of a different it's just like a different ball game, especially here because of we're so we're all about pipelines. Like every government is all like just always talks about building pipelines. Yeah, it's just I'm not. It's I think there's there was a lot of money here, and then people ran out of jobs, and then and so this sentiment built up, and and then and now these like these these far-right groups have come in and, and are steering the conversation a lot more. The Yellow Vest movement in Canada seems to be experiencing some kind of an identity crisis. On the one hand, the main organizers adamantly deny being connected to or affiliated with more extreme groups who do promote a racist and anti-immigration perspective. But on the other hand, members of the group have been exposed for various connections to right-wing extremism and to some extent even white supremacy by Allen and his team at Yellow Vest Canada Exposed. The evidence speaks for itself and the things that they say speak for itself. I mean, if you want to be, if you say that you're not, that you're not a racist group, then why are, are groups like the, like the World Coalition Against Islam, the Canadian chapter, Joey DeLuca, going down to Edmonton with the soldiers of Odin, the, the ones in Calgary here, they're, cause they're Finland approved, right? So if they're Finland approved, that means that they're, that they're approved by the, the original uh, leader of the group who is a, a neo-Nazi. Like, and that's, and that's proven, he's got a track record for it, right? So if you're going to say that you are not racist and that you are welcoming of all people, why in turn are you, are you inviting groups who, are, who, are, who exclude immigrants, who exclude refugees, who refer to black people and Muslims and just people of color in general, really, as parasites. There's certain people of color, they, you know, they, they've decided who it is that they think they're okay with. Usually Asian people, but like Western Asian people. But it's, it's a matter of, if you're going to say that, 
then then you need to then you need to own that. You need to be able to not have these groups come and speak at your rallies. We like immigrants. We like when people come here legally. They don't like. But if you're a refugee, that means that you're somehow illegal. Like refugees have been have been put into the same boat as as people walking across the border illegally. It's really odd because a lot of these people are are they're born here, but they don't really seem to understand like the, their own laws. They don't understand like the culture of this of this country and how diverse it actually is. There's a multicultural act of Canada about like a diversity of cultures, it, and it just seems like they're it's just it's they don't they know nothing about it. For Alan. His original intention was to join a local variation of a global movement, similar to what he saw happening in France. After looking firsthand what the group in Canada was really about, his goals have changed, and he and his counterparts are committed to exposing what they see as the racist and xenophobic nature of the Yellow Vest movement in Canada. For us, really, it's just a matter of, like, just stop with the, the you know, like, just stop with the racism and, and just... I mean, it's it's so far gone now that it just needs to kind of disband. I think, I think it just there's no hope for it anymore. Just because it has attracted this very, um, it always. I mean, they're they're conservative through and through, and so that's just that's just the label that they've got. And, and then, but then they also attract like people who consider themselves conservatives, but their politics are are further to the right than than everyone else. Right? They're not really within like the the mainstream margins of the society. So it's always going to attract that. So as long as a group like that is around, then, then it's always going to be what it is. And, and it's like, if they were, if, if they had jumped on, the, jumped on like really tackling the issues of racism and, and everything else, then I feel like I'd have a different opinion. But I think at this point, it just needs to, it needs to disband. While the work of Yellow Vests Exposed highlights the need to track and monitor the online activities of the Canadian far right, Attention also needs to be paid to how the hostility these groups have towards immigrants impacts Canada's newcomers. I spoke with Zaina Sleeman Long, a researcher based in Edmonton who has worked closely with newcomers, to ask her about this. I think one of the biggest things that face immigrants, I think, in general in Canada is really that settlement piece that often gets neglected. Um, and that relates to employment, but not necessarily just kind of giving them jobs, right? There's a there's a bigger piece around um, access to employment and education that I think as Canadians, we also need to do a lot of work on things like recognizing foreign credentials, right? But I think also in the bigger picture of creating and building social capital around immigrants and their settlement. And so uh, being able to create communities and networks that can further support that ability to transition into employment without necessarily having to like undergo another degree, for example, right? And I think here as just Canadians, we need to do a better job at recognizing the value that immigrants bring, the tenacity that a lot of them bring, the knowledge, the expertise, the innovative ideas that they have in order to support them. Canada's legacy of forced identity formation, such as residential schools, assimilation practices, or head taxes based on country of origin, have led to larger issues related to identity confusion. This has really contributed to the complexity of the immigration and settlement process, where there is really no clear-cut direction on if Canada is a melting pot of identities or if Canada is a multicultural mosaic of many different diversities. But maybe we don't need a clear-cut response. I think Canada's always been an identity crisis. And really, when you think about it, it was it's kind of established, at least Canada as we know it today, by French and British 
colonial powers. And then, you know, at the time it was trying to kind of forge this European identity and to suppress that indigenous traditional culture. And we've seen how oppressive that was in history, right? And then you kind of move on, you, you kind of have that settler colonial society really trying to ingrain this sort of European, or at least French and, and British sort of culture, if, if we can call it that. And then you have, you know, that era of Trudeau and open immigration that kind of suppresses that sort of and begins to welcome immigrants and recognize the value and the diversity that uh, Canada can be. And so Canada's never really had that like fixed culture or fixed identity, right? And I think sometimes advocates of that are kind of anti-immigration try to use that narrative, but that's really primarily based on their understanding of what Canada is, right? Mm. And we need to recognize that that that's multitude. I mean, really, and, and I think that idea that Canada needs to have that one identity is problematic to begin with. And so letting go of that and thinking about the fact that Canada's n- never had a very clear, concise identity, in fact, embrace that and allow different people to kind of experience that. I mean, even on Alberta, for example, we have a very different identity than people in Ontario or or Quebec. And so I, I think that narrative sometimes is utilized to promote that anti-immigrant sentiment because it's an easy target uh, when we're thinking about our own identity. But if you've removed immigrants, we would still have the same problem as we did before we had the we, before Canada became much more immigrant friendly and allowed you know immigration to come from various parts of the world, not just in Europe. A lot of it is emotion based, and I think a lot of the time we see uh, people trying to promote pro-immigrant sentiments by kind of touching on like logical reasoning, right? Like we need immigrants to support the the our workforce. We're just not having enough babies. We need immigrants because they increase in our innovation. And the Conference Award does a lot of work on this. But at the, at the core of it, people who are afraid of immigrants are afraid of them pr- not because they don't know the kind of the rational reasons why we need immigration. A lot of it is very emotionally based, whether it's because they might have had a bad experience, whether if they were part of the military and had some experiences with different racialized groups, whether they've never been exposed to like people of color, right? And I really think that one of the ways that we can combat that is by thinking about the power of narratives and stories. I did a lot of work with um, undocumented immigrants in the United States and one of the, the public opinion has sort of shifted in a lot of regions towards supporting undocumented immigrants and one of the ways that I believe that happened is by through the development of the what was called the coming out movement of undocumented immigrants coming out and saying hey I'm undocumented I'm a Harvard grad I've been living here since I was six months old here I am kind of really disrupting those narratives of what people are afraid of right that there was that you know statement by Trump of you know they're the rapists and murderers right but we're not and that allows people to feel differently towards immigrants and I think if we shared some of those narratives more widely similarly to like that coming out movement I think real impact could be done with regards to shifting those narratives because it is so and I've had you know discussions with people um in sometimes in my classrooms who feel like we're too welcoming to immigrants right and so much of it is just you can rationalize it all you want but it's just not gonna change those perceptions what I think will is really disrupting that disrupting that fear that they have that oh this is not the immigrant that I thought that I was afraid of right globally anti-immigration sentiment seems to be on the rise the sentiment is often based out of fear and is an emotional response to what people hear or see on mainstream and social media The visibility of it all has really been amplified with social media platforms. 
and one just has to read the comment section on their favorite social media platform to see just how negative sentiment towards immigration and immigrants has become. There's this sense from predominantly white sort of anti-immigrant groups that the more immigrants we have, the more of our culture we will lose, right? This this idea that because you're speaking this foreign language, then I'm going to be forced to speak this foreign language, and I don't want to. I want Canada to remain the Canada that I know. And I think that goes back to something I said at the beginning in that this idea that, like, Canada must have one identity, right? And so it's like this battle for this one identity. But if we let go of that and think of this multitude that you... Immigrants are not a threat to white culture, and I think that is that that that's an element that a lot of that creates fear among anti-immigrants. And you know, immigrants come to Canada for a variety of reasons. They don't come here to impose their language or their culture on others. Mo- many of them don't come necessarily by choice, um, whether they're fleeing, you know, war or they're seeking better job opportunities for their or education for their kids. Leaving your home is a really difficult journey to go on. You're leaving everything that you know. And from all of the immigrants that I've kind of worked with, whether in teaching or in research, it's it's one of the biggest struggles they face with. And they're not interested in sort of imposing that on others. They just want to be able to settle and find a job and go to school. And I think um, this is where some of the, those narratives come to play right and and so this idea that you know these cultures coming here are going to impose themselves really historically the only the only times that's happened is through colonial powers right that's that's colonials and that's the essence of um of colonial powers and we've seen how oppressive and damaging that is but that comes with uh power which immigrants don't have you know it's kind of funny because i've been part of different studies that work with immigrants and with more recent newer immigrants in the past year particularly there's sort of this honeymoon stage where they don't recognize discrimination in fact they feel like canada is the most welcoming you know most joyous place that they've ever been to even though when you start asking them and prodding questions you kind of recognize it's actually they have been faced with discrimination they just haven't been able to identify it and so in terms of the immediate settlement they're not identifying that as a barrier but i see it in the broader spectrum of access to like housing for example it's you know i called and there was an apartment and then when we showed up the apartment suddenly wasn't available anymore right or uh getting a job like names your names being you know ahmed yasin or whatever and having a degree from like i don't know saudi arabia and so it affects their process immensely, partially because A, if they're not already entering into a space that is welcoming and kind of speaking to that creating of that social capital and also having employers recognize the value that they bring, then they're already being faced with that barrier of accessing jobs and housing, right? And then accessing community. There's some research in sociology actually that that looks at the value of, you know, communities that niche communities, cultural communities, that idea that like the ghettoization, right? But research has actually found that that's really beneficial to the long-term settlement process of of those communities because they can find somebody that's been there like 10 years before I have and then being able to navigate those spaces with that help. And so in the absence of that, they become isolated. And immigration and settlement is sort of a true two-pronged approach is that, you know, it takes that immigrant learning, so uh, learning English or getting to know kind of cultural workplace uh, dynamics, but it also takes that other side of recognizing the value, providing support, providing help. And if that's absent, then it creates a breakdown in that person's ability to integrate and to really settle, settle well into their communities. A lot of Zaina's academic research has focused on the impact racism has on newcomers. 
In a 2017 study focused on improving outcomes for newcomers in Edmonton, Zaina and her research team observed that 41% of their study participants who identified as an immigrant experienced discrimination, especially in spaces they frequently occupied, like their own neighborhoods. It creates a, a tremendous amount of fear, and that adds to the... So kind of, I had somebody actually ask me yesterday what I think about, you know, the groups like Sons of Odin and is, should we be afraid to go to the mosque? And, you know, I had to reassure them that although they're there, they're actually not, you know, just having that conversation. But I recognize a deep fear that they held just going outside. And, and for a refugee or for somebody who's lived in a very precarious situation, coming here and already having to kind of deal with sort of that overcoming that those mental health struggles and then adding on to it that greater fear of like I thought I was safe here but now I'm watching these groups on TV and they're that they scare me and therefore I'm not going to go to get my you know Alberta works or I'm just going to stay at home and so I see it as a bigger and again with the groups that I primarily worked with it creates an it creates another layer towards overcoming mental health disabilities and it, it, it just makes that settlement process that much longer because you in addition to having to work them throughout you know whether it's family issues or post-traumatic uh, post-traumatic stress disorder they've got that added layer of like I thought I was safe here but I'm not and it's scary There are hundreds of immigrant-serving agencies across Alberta and various ethnic societies working to improve the lives of newcomers and helping them settle and integrate as they come. The Pakistani-Canadian Cultural Association of Alberta, the Calgary chapter, is one of them. Over the years, the organization has really proven its mandate to educate old and new Pakistani-Canadian members on how to interact with different communities and bridge the gap. I had the opportunity to speak to Ashut Bukhari and Junaid Bahadur Khan about the work their organization does. When people come from the different background, different culture, different religion, uh, they have different perspective because they are living in as a majority and uh, world perspective is very different and national politics, international politics is very altogether very different. So we need that is very important how when they come in multicultural society like Canada, so they have to be, um, not to tolerate, to accept other views. That is one thing. Then how to react, the culture of the police, culture of the government, culture of the politics is everything is very different. So we are from PCCA, we are doing these, working in both areas. Most of the organization's focus, work and activism is to look at themselves they organize events with themes such as diversity is our strength in order to bring ethnic communities together. They also go to other communities' programs and events to create a much-needed learning experience. The whole world is looking towards Canada in terms of multiculture. Because in Canada, uh, the commitment is very strong towards multiculture because there is, it's, there is legislative support behind that, constitutional support behind that, and there is commitment from the government. Uh, they committed uh, in 70s that they will bring immigrants throughout the world and to neutralize a Canadian population to represent all parts of the world. 
so why world is looking so this is very unique kind of experiment when you are bringing people from different backgrounds now you have to be equal and uh, fair with everybody but then for example i live in alberta so alberta is traditionally conservative province so you know conservatives have uh, kind of feelings and they don't accept change that much when the immigrants comes so they will bring some change so then it's a natural reaction a different kind of hate or different kind of traditional racism that will exist so on government level on ngo level on social activist level we all need to work together to resolve this so this is not crisis i don't call this crisis this is the issue that we need to address both astrad and junaid believe that politicians and their governments have a big role to play in mitigating hate in our society but instead they often contribute to it in any kind of election we what we saw and observe most of left political parties they are trying to use victim card for those minority communities and ethnic community to attract their vote to win their side and on other other side we saw conservative politics they want to they don't want to use well, Uh, for, for sure victim card because they like victim card is going to help them to attract their white votes or there might be super white supremacist vote or might be uh, their ultra conservative people's vote so in any kind of election political parties need to be very careful when they are using those minorities community minority community to win their side to to uh, get more votes the exploitation of victim card and uh, to attract your white supremacists are racists are uh, ultra conservatives uh, for political purpose is not is create polarization in society and political parties should not exploit these things both extremes that is one thing uh, but uh, i want to highlight one another thing regarding immigration so canadian government on provincial federal and city level they need to focus more in some programs towards immigrant new immigrants when they come here they should have some program uh, how to integrate how to accept different cultures different uh, people so then they will have a better understanding and they uh, they will not go to conflict i think that is very important because they, as i mentioned before they are coming from different background and all together it's a different new world there are issues we need to deal with them and to deal with those issues we have to first understand how we have to deal with that and we do not have to put all the responsibility over majority and canadian society we have to take some of the responsibility what we need to do to become part of the society they also think that programming is insufficient in our province although there are some newcomer agencies they often don't focus on introducing new cultures to newcomers but rather just on initial needs which is of course really important but at the end of the day we are a multicultural society so there is a big need to integrate in that sense in alberta we have too much polarization because we do have a ultra right wing political wings in alberta from Uh, or local community which was here before us and for example soldier of odens and all those groups and they have 1600 members or might be they have impact on the community and they do have impact on this community that number one is polarization from other side and polarization from over side uh, over groups in calgary and uh, 
a lot of these councils, a lot of these associations, they are doing a lot of work for themselves. They have a lot of uh, seminar, they are conducting a lot of uh, program, their events, and their event, their program, their seminar is only for their people. It's not for community, it's not for everyone. They are, we are not including people from our surrounding. They do not have opportunity to understand our values. And instead of another, another thing, actually, it might be a part of this new fashion. People are talking about interfaith dialogues, and we do have a lot of interfaith dialogues in Alberta if we compare to other places in Canada. And I don't understand this like concept of interfaith dialogue because you do not need to have dialogue when you are not going to convince from other uh, faith or other religion. We do need uh, like workshops or seminars or events where we have to understand each other's values instead of debating and dialoguing on them, if, instead of being trying to convince each other on those things. For example, I, I went to last one interfaith dialogue and uh, most of people who are from different kind of culture, identities and different religions, they were trying to uh, like describe their point of view and after like every other speaker, they have a uh, little bit of information about their uh, what their religion is doing and how they are better from other religion. And those kind of things as an audience, when I was looking into that, that was giving me a comparison to choose one of them. We are not here to choose one of them. We should like live together as a like as human, as community, as society, and then we have to just understand each other. Someone have might be have different kind of values, different kind of set of belief, and we have to just live with each other, be happy with each other, uh, without even talking, without even debating on each other concept, religions, and our faith, identities, and cultures. And that is one thing which we have different from other areas in Canada if we compare. The us versus them narrative is having a strong and polarizing impact on what we are seeing here in the province as it relates to hate, bias, and discrimination. However, what some are seeing as an uphill battle to climb, our younger generation may have a more optimistic view of the state of hate in the province and how we can challenge the narrative. In our next episode, we look at the youth perspective of hate in Alberta.